Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we begin this morning in the last and final chapter of the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Our text this morning, verses 1 through 4. The title of the message, God's Plan for the Family. God does have a plan for the family. We saw last week that it begins with one man and one woman committed together to faithfully love one another until death parts them. And from that union is to come forth children. And in that relationship, both the parents and the children have a role to play. Remember, God is a God of order and not chaos. And so in all of his institutions, government, the church, the family, there is to be order. And for there to be order, each person has to fulfill their role. And so let's read about those roles, beginning in verse 1, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the hearing and the reading of his word. Paul here, of course, is drawing our attention to the relationship between children and parents. This is a section and a chapter about relationships. The New Testament is extremely practical. It is as relevant as today's newspaper. And so here, first of all, we need to know what God says about children. In the Old Testament, Psalm 127, 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so first of all, children are not to be viewed as obstacles to our happiness. They are not to be viewed as a hurdle to overcome before retirement. They are to be viewed as blessings and gifts from the Lord. And as with any blessing or gift from the Lord, children are to be viewed as a stewardship. Stewardship is the idea that God gives us blessings and we're going to be held accountable for what we do with those. He wants us to use them wisely. So it is with children. We're entrusted with children for a few years and the Lord will hold us accountable for whether or not we obeyed his commandments in that relationship. Did you know that on any given Sunday, between 35 and 40% of our attendants here on our campus are under 18 years of age? That is a great stewardship, and that's why we give such emphasis to our children's ministries here, and RAs and GAs and children's choirs, is because we believe the Word of God is true. The children are a blessing from the Lord, and that's why we want to come alongside you this morning as parents and help you to understand the Word of God as it relates to your responsibility as a parent. Before we go any farther, let me say that uh, I am learning with you. I am a parent. My wife and I have four children. I can tell you when I was in my 20s and first pastoring a church, I thought I knew everything about parenting. And if you want to know anything about how to raise your children, just come ask me and I would be happy to tell you. I can tell you that as I've grown older and had a little more experience, it's a difficult task. And we need the Lord's help and we need a lot of mercy and grace with one another. We do know this, that the Lord Jesus loved children. Matthew 19, 14, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus said it would be better for a person to have a millstone dropped around their neck and into the depths of the ocean than they would harm a little one. And so the Lord loves children. Jesus loves children. We are to love and respect all children. Well, your outline today, you have three points. It's taken right from the Word of God. First of all, the role of children. Obedience and honor. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. The Greek word translated here, children, is technon. And that word can mean very small children, but can also mean adult children. And so we take the word obey, by the way, which is much stronger than the word submit. Remember the concept in every Christian relationship is mutual submission, hupotazo, to voluntarily rank yourself under the authority of another. Now we don't have to think about it in, in the home. Obviously children are to rank themselves under their parents. That's their God-given role. But they're also to go beyond submission to obedience. It's a much stronger word. Why is that? Well, Paul must know that children are naturally going to ask why. And so he answers the question, for this is right. Now for a lot of people that doesn't sound like much of an answer, but it really is when you think about it. Paul here I think is speaking of natural law. In the book of Romans when Paul was explaining the relationship of Gentiles, those who do not have the written Old Testament, to the Jews who do have the written law, this is what he says. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them, on the day when according to my gospel God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Paul seems to indicate that there is a written law on tablets of stone, but that every man is born with a conscience and every man has certain truths branded to his spirit. And one of those seems to be the need for obedience to parents. I said last week that marriage is a cultural universal. That is, there's no culture that we know of on planet Earth that does not have the concept of marriage. I know of no culture on Earth that doesn't have the concept of the need for the obedience of children. And when the obedience of children to their parents is absent, you have for a chaotic culture. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, who's now with the Lord, former pastor over in Dallas and Seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary was fond of saying this, disobedience to parents is a sign of divine judgment, not a predictor of it. Here's what he meant. Sometimes when bad things happen and the culture's going sideways, we are apt to say, well, if we don't turn around, the Lord might judge us. What he says is the fact that our culture is permeated is known for the disobedience of children to their parents is a sign that God's judgment is already upon us. And there's a large difference. He hearkens to Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. Remember the Apostle Paul is telling us why the world is in such a mess. And it's just the opposite of what you were taught in school, that man is evolving upward and better. Paul says it's getting worse and worse. And then he describes the chronology of it. He says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now he's about to describe the characteristics of a person and a culture that are under the judgment of God. He's been given over to a depraved mind. Here's what he says. They are filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, comma. Now, would you agree with me so far in that list? That's some bad stuff. 
That's the worst of the worst. Did you know what the very next word is after the comma? After murder, malice, slander, arrogance, inventors of evil, comma, disobedient to parents. Children, he places disobedience to parents in the same list as murder. And we know that under the old covenant, Levitical law, if a child of any age cursed his parents, it was a capital offense. Their life was to be taken in a very public way. Sometimes we excuse disobedience to parents and say, oh, it's just a phase. All the kids talk back. All the kids go through this period when the scripture says, children, obey your parents. The primary reason that children are to obey their parents is it's the parents' role to teach the children to obey God. As you learn to obey your parents, your parents are teaching you to obey God. Now, why should we obey God? Well, because He's God, but also for your own protection. Adrian Rogers often said of the Ten Commandments, when God says, thou shall do something, he says, help yourself to happiness. When he says, thou shall not do something, he's saying, warning, hot, stay away. And so it is as we teach our, our children, because the scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You don't have to teach a child to do foolish things. They're born that way. I'm, I'm thinking now of my very best friend in the world, a man by the name of Jody Anderson. He's preached in this pulpit a few times. He's now Dr. Jody Anderson. He never lets me forget that. And uh, he forgets sometimes that I knew him long before. I knew all about him. In fact, I know that when he was six years old, he watched a movie called Mary Poppins. And as soon as the movie was over, he went into his parents' bedroom and found the largest umbrella he could find. And he went to the garage and found his father's stepladder and he climbed to the top of the roof of the house went over to the eave, opened up the umbrella and jumped off, <laughs> believing that he could fly like Mary Poppins. He did not. <laughs> Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. All of you could tell stories like that about your children or your own childhood. One of the jobs of parents is to protect children from themselves, to help them to grow up to maturity. But before parents are able to help their children in the best way, which is spiritually, they also have to learn to obey God themselves. You can't expect your children to go past where you are spiritually. You say, well, I drop them off at the church three times a week. That's not enough. You are to be the primary leader in your home. And I'm speaking now to dads primarily. Well, what does he mean to honor your parents? John MacArthur says, to honor is the attitude that is required. To obey is the action. Now, I don't believe that Paul is saying here that uh, until our parents die, maybe we're in our 60s and have grandchildren of our own, that our parents can call us up and say, you be on by 9 o'clock. And you're to obey that. I, th I think the idea is of honor, which is the attitude of respect and reverence. And so how do you show honor to your parents? Well, through your actions, through your words, and through your presence. Our baby daughter, Eliza Joy, was dedicated here in this service last Sunday morning, and we picked out a verse from her from the Old Testament. And that verse says that a good name is more valuable than rubies. It's to be treasured. Young people, that's true of your family's name. If your family has a good name and a good reputation in the community, every time you go out in the community, by your behavior, you're either honoring that name or you're not. 
Honor your parents with your actions, through your words, how you speak to others, how you speak to your teachers and law enforcement and all of those who, who have the place of authority over you. But I'm speaking primarily to adult children now. With your presence, I know that many of you are faced with a hard task right now of helping out with aging parents. And I have no easy answers. I will tell you that um, our church has a ministry to this regard. You have in your bulletin today um, a pamphlet. Brother Ted Eaton put that there this morning. It talks about our need for helpers in our nursing home ministry. You may know that we have 11 nursing homes every week that we have services in. We need more workers there. We probably could, if we had the staff, 20 or 25 homes every week. There, there are more coming up all the time. And I started here in this church in the nursing home ministry. And even then I, I saw sort of a pattern when families uh, came to the point where they had to, to get some help and they would come to the nursing home and the first couple of months family members came every day and checked on mom and grandma and, and then after about six months it became every week. Then after about two years it was on holidays and then after about three years, never. And dear one, I think I stand on the, the word of God when I say brothers and sisters, this ought not be, not in the church. Honor your mother and father. Now, one more thing I'll say here, verse 3, so that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. Some people have taken that to be a rock-solid promise from God that if they're obedient, they're going to live to be 120. <laughs> Just because a child dies very early in life or maybe someone lives to be 120 is no sign that they necessarily were obedient or disobedient. The Lord is sovereign over the days of our lives. What he's saying there is that we will fulfill our days. Matt mentioned the book of Job and the hymn that was just sung. In the book of Job, the Bible indicates that our days have a boundary. God has marked out how long we can live. By the way, did you notice the article in the paper this week where scientists have finally admitted that no matter how great the medical care no matter how well someone takes care of themselves, that about 120 is the most any human could possibly live because of genetics any longer. And reminded me of that verse that the Lord has marked out and said thus far and no farther. But here's what the Bible seems to indicate, that there are ways in which we can cut that time short through disobedience. When the Bible says to obey your parents, children, one of their jobs is to teach you to obey authority. And I can promise you, if you develop a pattern of disobedience to authority, that's one of the quickest ways in the world to cut your time short on planet Earth. Obey your parents and live out the fullness that God has intended for your days. Now we'll move on now to the second point. This now the role of the parent Rules and reasonableness. Verse 4, fathers, that word also sometimes includes both mother and father, and I think it does in this case. So we could say parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now there's nothing more countercultural than what the Bible has to say about parents. It was incredibly countercultural in Paul's day. You will remember that Ephesus was a city that was under the Roman government. And its philosophies were dictated by the Roman philosophy. And the Roman philosophy of family was that the father was the dictator of his own home. 
Children and wives and slaves were property to be used at the whim of the father. And if the father got tired of any of those, his children, his slaves, or his wife, he could get rid of any and all of them, including putting them to death without any judicial repercussion. And along comes Paul and he speaks into that environment and he says, parents, you have some obligations and owe some things to your children. That was absolutely countercultural. First of all, he says, don't provoke them to anger. Now, if you know anything about children, you know that children need boundaries and rules. Without boundaries and rules, children become easily confused and disoriented. I observed this time and again from my days teaching public school and coaching baseball and football. Almost none of the young men that I coached had a two-parent home. In fact, many of them had a no-parent home. They lived from this couch to that, from this relative to that. They never had any structure, never had any boundaries. And then when suddenly they came into my classroom or suddenly we went out to the ball field, I had very clear expectations. You would think they would have rebelled against that and hated that, but I found by and large they loved it because they had it in no other area of their life because it made them feel safe to know that if I don't show up for practice at 3.30, someone's coming to look for me. They care enough about me to give me rules in my life. And so first principle there is that children need structure and rules and boundaries, but then there's a warning attached to that, don't go too far with rules and structures and boundaries. He simply says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. I don't know about you, but every time I come to that verse in scripture, I say, I need more than that. Tell me, give me the line where if I go beyond it, I've provoked my child to wrath. Do you know why I believe that the Lord doesn't give us any more than that? Because he knows what you know. Every child is different. And so the line for one child may be easily crossed, and for another child it's very difficult to cross, right? And so we parent our children uniquely and differently just as the Lord made them. And so it tells us of our need of wisdom. James 1.5, if anyone needs wisdom, what should he do? Ask the Lord. He gives to all men freely, and that includes fathers and mothers. Yet, the point is clear. Don't provoke your children to wrath, the King James Bible says, or anger. How do we do that? Well, I just wrote down four or five ways that I have observed. Probably most of them I have done, but I've seen it in other people as well. Number one is by undue harshness in discipline. Every Thing that is wrong is as worse as it, as bad as it could possibly be. That that is the punishment for the crime does not fit the crime in many cases, and children become uh, easily overburdened and overtaxed and angry at that kind of discipline. Secondly, when a parent shows favoritism, when there's more than one child in the home, and the discipline usually devolves into why can't you be more like that? Comparisons. Thirdly, and I think this is the worst, it's inconsistency in discipline. Meaning the child spills his milk at dinner on Monday and you laugh and say, oh, don't worry about it, everybody's done it. And they spill their milk on Thursday and you blow a gasket, have a nuclear meltdown, and suddenly the child doesn't know where he stands in the world, which leads to confusion and often anger. Harsh criticism. Never encouraging, but always putting down. This leads to anger. And then this one, let me get really personal to you. Trying to live vicariously through your children. 
And if you don't know what I mean, the moment we say amen in a moment, get in your car and go over to the soccer field, the football field, the baseball field, and you'll see what I mean. Parents who didn't achieve the things athletically that they wanted to now demand that their children fulfill their unfulfilled dreams. That often leads to anger in, in children. See, God's plan for the family is not complex. The, the roles are crystal clear. Wives, submit to your husband. Husband, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, provoke your, not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's one more mistake I see many parents making these days, and that is they aim to be the child's friend rather than his parent. The Bible says nothing here about being your child's buddy. It says everything about being his father or his mother, because your role as a father is to teach that child to obey God. And yes, the Lord does call us friends, but there's also a clear difference between God and us, right? He is to be worshiped and we are to be the worshipers. In the home, the parent is to be obeyed and the children are to be obedient with reasonable rules. Third and finally, training and teaching. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now all of us love to give our children nice things. We like it when they open their toys at Christmas and there's a smile on their face. I'm convinced that the greatest gift any of us can give our children is discipline and instruction in the things of God. Jesus commented to the Pharisees, you men being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your heavenly father. Even those wicked Pharisees love their children. But we give good gifts for a lot of different reasons, don't we? Sometimes we give good gifts out of the right motives. We just love to see the joy of our child. Sometimes we give our children things out of guilt. We recognize that we weren't there as much as we should be, and we try to make up for a full year of absence through things. That's never a good idea. But what your child needs more than bicycles or motor scooters or video games is the teaching of the Word of God and is the primary role of the parent, and I would say of the dad, to do that very thing. It's not enough to bring them to church. Remember my friend Jody that I just mentioned, the one that jumped off the roof with the Mary Poppins umbrella? If you fast forward 30 years and Jody finished his PhD at Mid-America Seminary, he wrote his dissertation on Puritan family worship. He is an expert in that field. And I asked him once what the summary of his findings were, and he said it's simply this, that the Puritans by and large believed that the parenting role was an extension of the shepherding role of the pastor. That is, the dads were to be the pastors of their own home. And so they would go to church, and they would study on their own, they would learn from the pastor, then they would bring that home and apply it to their parenting. And they primarily were the ones that made sure that their children First of all, we're hearing the gospel and we're making progress then in sanctification. And oftentimes the pastor would come and sit down with the dad and say, tell me about your children. And they would go through the list and they had many children in those days. And they would go through the list about where these children were in their sanctification or ever, even if they knew the Lord 
at all. And that was an expectation in every home. Well, we know that we're not Puritans, but there's lots we can learn from them that, that's good. Scripture says that we are to teach our children discipline and instruction. And when we hear that word discipline, our mind usually goes to punishment, right? That's not the word. It includes that. But you men that went off to the military, they taught you discipline. They weren't always hitting you with a wet noodle to do that. They were teaching you when to get up, how to be where you're supposed to be on time. They were teaching you to obey those in authority over you, right? They were teaching you discipline. This is the word, the discipline of the Lord, but also the instruction. That is the doctrine of our faith. But if you don't know the doctrine, you can't transmit that to children. One of the things that has helped our family life so much in our household is our commitment to family worship. And we do not do it perfectly. But on Tuesday night and Thursday night at 8 o'clock, our children know the TVs go off, computers go off, and we gather in the living room and we open the Word of God. And it's not a three-point sermon and a poem. We read some verses, we talk about them, we pray together, and we usually sing a song or two. It takes 10 or 12 minutes. But it helps them to understand the priorities of their parents. And it reminds us of our duties as parents. And we teach doctrine. My wife, most especially during the day, teaches our children a catechism. A catechism is a great tool. I know it sounds Catholic, just relax. <laughs> it's not. A, a catechism is, is a list of questions. And we have a little book, it's about how many, 150 questions, 180? And we start them before they can read or write. Simple questions like, who is God? How many is God? Who are our first parents? And it works all the way through to the doctrine of salvation, of the church, all the way up until they, they grow into maturity. And my daughter was baptized here last Sunday morning. I can tell you she was saved because the Holy Spirit drew her. But the means that he used to draw her, I'm convinced, was that catechism. It taught her from two years old she was a sinner in need of a Savior. And those are the things primarily that, that you need to teach your children as well. Look, I'm not holding myself up as perfect. We are far from it. And if you could see our family worship, about 10% of it is worship and 90% herding cats. <laughs> but it's okay. They're growing. And uh, the Lord, I think, will bless you if you'll make such commitment as, as well. Because here's the truth. Your children and my children know instinctively. Isn't that grating how they know things instinctively? What is most important to you as it relates to them. And so if what's most important to you as it relates to them is that they are academically and financially successful as the world counts success, no matter what you say your priority is, they're going to know that. And if your priority in your own heart is that they achieve athletically and win earthly fame, they're going to know that. And by the same token, if your highest priority is their godliness and their spiritual progression, they will know that. And I'm gonna say something very harsh. Parents, if sports and extracurricular activities and hobbies consistently take your children out of public worship and Sunday school 
and vacation Bible school, that speaks very loudly and clearly to your children about what your priorities are. You say, well, Pastor, my kids are grown. They're out of the house. It's too late for me. Not as long as they're living. Not as long as you have any contact with them. You can positively influence your children and your grandchildren if you'll commit uh, to these principles. It may be the first step of doing that is confession. You know what? I've been studying the Word, and I've seen where I fall short. Will you forgive me of that? Too late for me to, to change the way I brought you up, but God being my helper, I'm going to help with the grandkids and, and have a positive influence on their life. The Lord will, will honor that. And let me say one more word to, to kids of every age, from one up to 100 here. The only children that deserve perfect parents are perfect children. And none of you are. <laughs> and I'm not. So we need to be merciful, don't we? Gracious. It's very popular and faddish in our society to blame every problem we have on our parents. That's not what I'm saying here today. Your parents are like you. They're human. They fall short. They fail. Be merciful to them as you pray that they'll be merciful for you where you're falling short. We're not perfect at our house, but I will tell you this. I speak for my wife. Our prayer is not that our children make straight A's. Their dad didn't. Their mom probably did. Their dad didn't. It's not that they're a great athlete. Their, their dad was not. Our prayer every day is the same prayer we pray for your children, that they grow up to love the Lord Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything else is gravy, right? That's the most important thing. Let's make that very clear to every child in our church every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and thank you for your word because it's so clear, not complicated. Your plan for the family, and yet it is so rarely done. And that's why our culture is in the shape that it is. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Father, where we fail to do those things, forgive us. Thank you for your kindness to point those out to us by your spirit today. Help us to make commitments today to to do better in the future. Lord, help us to be merciful to our parents and to our children. Father, help us to put into practice those things we've heard today, not for our own comfort and ease, but so that Christ would be most glorified through our lives and through our church. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.